What's up, everyone? We're back. Welcome to Dr. Lee Unhinged Season 2. Yeah, it has been a long time coming. We very abruptly and unexpectedly and unannounced stopped in the middle of Season 1 and a half. So we are back, though. Season 2 flagship podcast is off and running. Okay, so what are we going to be talking about today? We do have a tendency of abruptly ending things that we started with no warning. Uh, New Year's resolution, we won't be doing that this year. We actually have a ton of things in store for this year. So basically what happened was for probably about a year and a half, two years, personally, I've been working on a bunch of different projects that are culminating this year. So essentially like all the work to get them all started and ready to go happened over the last year and a half. So you'll be hearing about them this year. So that's super exciting. um, And that's pretty much my major life update. Oh, yeah. You all don't even know this year is going to be exceptionally exciting. Like, I'm thrilled for this year. And not only is like Dr. Shah's life going to be chaos for 2024, but uh, I mean, my honestly, I'm just looking at everything that I have on my plate and we have collectively on our plates. This is going to be a very, very interesting year. There's so much in flux. There's so much movement. There are so many new things coming that you don't even no one knows about. And uh, I mean, like, I have some things we're rolling out. It's going to be a big year. So buckle up. It's going to be exciting. And it's going to be stressful. Like Dr. Sean and I are probably going to age 10 years this year. Uh, but the next year will look good. <laughs> I feel like I already aged like 10 years last year. So I don't know how many more years I can age. But I will say you're seeing essentially the maturation of the Dr. Lee duo here. Because you're going to see the evolution of us kind of coming into our full forms essentially kind of setting up what we're going to look like for the next several years like the different types of industries we sort of venture into so it's gonna be exciting to to have you all watch us and grow with us um through this entire process i think it's going to be interesting to see how everything ends up yeah so we are leaving the cocoon we are going to be bright brilliant beautiful butterflies. We're going to talk about your skincare resolutions. What do you need to be doing this year for your skin? What were you doing last year that you really need to leave behind? We'll also be talking about tweens and their overuse of skincare. Are we guilty of perpetuating this? I don't know. We might have a little bit of introspection on this topic. And then also Gen Z. We're focusing in, honing in on Gen Z, not necessarily for anything they're doing wrong, but just from some unique different nuances about this generation and how they're interacting with others and also about how they're aging. How is Gen Z aging? We will be talking about this too. A little bit. So basically, uh, to give you a little sneak peek, um, there are a few videos going viral on TikTok talking about how Gen Z actually looks older than millennials. And we're going to talk a little bit about whether we think that's true or not true or why maybe that might be the case. So starting out with skincare resolutions for everybody. What things should we be leaving in the past? Dr. Maxfield, take it away. All right, I'm gonna start with a complicated multi-step routine. Everyone kind of says this every year. um, And I think the first thing everyone should do this year is assess what you're doing, why you're doing, because you can cover most bases with three to four at most five steps, especially if you have like a rock star consolidated product that's doing a lot for your skin. So reassess, look at why you're using what you've got, and you may be able to get rid of most of your skincare steps and still have healthy skin. I completely agree with that. Huge fan of skinimalism. And I think every year you and I say, this is the year of deliberate skincare. And it never seems to be the case. 
I think TikTok shop has really taken off. So it's like mm. pushing all these new products, people's oh directions. Gosh. And I think we have a bad habit of highlighting products. We'll say, hey, actually snail mucin is great for the skin. And someone says, well, great. Then I need snail mucin on top of the moisturizer I have and the hyaluronic acid that you said was great last month. And then the sunscreen. And so you start to kind of get too many steps that maybe you don't need. And we can consolidate those steps, right? You don't need a snail mucin and a hyaluronic acid serum, for example. You could just pick one or the other. So simplifying your skincare routine, being deliberate about your skincare routine, I am huge fans of that. I think we are going to be leaving over exfoliation in the past. I, I think that that was a big stride of 2023 and is going to carry forward into 2024. I think we're not going to be falling for the expensive skincare routine marketing that we see out there. I still see it a little bit where really expensive products are being marketed where they'll say that, and we're kind of seeing the a glimpse of this now, and I don't know if you've seen this, Dr. Maxfield, but AI created product, you know, AI research or, you know, molecular chemistry breakthrough, uh, molecule oh, yeah. patented formula that is going to cure all your skin issues. And, you know, I think they're leaning into science, but we like science, but now it's just like more like marketing science rather than like real science, if that makes sense. So I'm not a huge fan of that. I hope we leave that behind, but I actually see it as a growing trend this year. Yeah, that's so really interestingly, I, you know, it's tough for me to know what to do with some of those new mo novel molecules. We see it in prescription world all the time. Like this is a new mechanism of action. And honestly, things are a lot more meaningful there. So like you have a new molecule works differently. Safety seems great. Efficacy seems great. It's actually kind of exciting when you have a prescription ingredient that works that way. But a lot of that has to do with the amount of rigorous testing that you know it's hit before it hits your hands and your patients. Whereas over the counter, you're like, okay, well, you know, L'Oreal came out with this ingredient. You know, they did do a study on it and it did show benefit. But is it worth integrating or more importantly, is it worth replacing something like a tretinoin in your routine? The answer is almost always going to be no. Not that it's not beneficial, but it doesn't have to be a foundational part of a person's routine. Now, I've watched trend. This is what I think is leading left behind. And I'm a big fan. I'm thrilled to this. When I started social media, I felt out of place because I was active. I surf, I run, and like I really felt uncomfortable with that whole discussion because at that time there was so much fear mongering about, even as a dermatologist, I felt out of place, but there was so much fear mongering about going outside. Like the sun was the devil. Like you should be inside, you should be inside wearing your sunscreen, reapplying your sunscreen inside to every two hours. Not that that was wrong. That would be perfect for perfect skin, pristine skin. But I think it was overdone to the point where people felt like they had to do that regardless of their skin goals and so i think this year we're going to see a lot more people with healthy skin and it may not be perfect skin they might suffer more dark spots and aging because of it but they're going to be living life more i think we're going to see a lot more active individuals integrating a good healthy skincare routine and i think that reflects the general population like my farmers my patients who are farmers construction workers fishermen avid runners they love their pickleball they love their tennis but they want healthy skin you can marry both it won't be perfect skin, but it'll be healthy skin. Yeah, uh, I, I made a video yesterday on TikTok where I was talking about simplifying your skincare routine. And I said, we start a skincare routine by basically the need for sunscreen and protecting your skin. And I didn't say in the video to like reapply sunscreen. I just said, you need to wear sunscreen in the morning, right? Someone commented, well, like, don't you need to reapply every two hours? And then somebody else commented, I'm not going to do this because reapplying every two hours is insane. And I do think that that barrier makes it very difficult for people to enter. Let's say that you're a very active person. You play tennis, pickleball, whatever you do. And I tell you, 
you go from wearing no sunscreen to now having to reapply sunscreen vigorously every two hours. You're going to be like, you know, that's too much of a life change. So I actually don't think it's something that most people are actually going to hit. So you have to set realistic goals for people. And so like you said, yes, like reapplying sunscreen every two hours is like the perfect thing to do. But if you were to just apply sunscreen once in the morning, and I know we've said this before, you'd be better off than most people. And you would still get protection throughout the day. It just wouldn't be that SPF 30 or 50 throughout the entire day. You would lose a little bit of it, but not all of it. And they've done studies on this. So you don't lose all of it. So I would prefer that over no sunscreen at all. And I actually think that that's an obstacle that most people can hit. Most people can say, I'm going to brush my teeth and put on sunscreen afterwards. I think it's a realistic objective. So that would be my objective for everybody. Sunscreen once in the day this year. If you do that, you'll be better off. And I'll say one thing that I actually kind of fell off my skincare routine for a long time. I almost got skincare fatigue. I don't know if that happens Mm. to you, Dr. Maxfield, at all. Mm -hmm. But there were so many products that I was trying And I was so consistent initially when I got on social media. And then I went through a phase where I was like trying a bunch of different things. And I just like completely fell out of my skincare routine. And probably over the last three weeks, Hmm. I've been really consistent back with exfoliating once a week, using my retinoid nightly, wearing sunscreen every day. And even within that three weeks, I, I noticed a big improvement in my skin already. So you do see noticeable results pretty quickly. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. And I'm going to caveat what what I said for all of you people who are going to come after me and say, well, you're saying don't wear sunscreen, don't reapply sunscreen. Absolutely not. If if you want to reapply sunscreen, you should. If you're outside, if you're actively outside running and you're or laying on the beach, golly darn it, you better be reapplying your sunscreen. Like that is extremely important. If you're in your cubicle and you're worried about reapplying your sunscreen every two hours and that's your deterrent from entering skincare altogether, let's talk because that may be unnecessary for what you're doing at that moment all right so your resolution for the year give it to us it doesn't even have to be skincare related oh my personal one again oh okay i gotta get tight on the diet again so it, it like i think anyone who is over 30 35 like experiences this i mean i exercise mostly every day and i have for the past 15 years and there comes a point where that's not enough to compensate so I tightened up my diet really nicely for a large portion of last year. Then I slipped off completely. But I need to just be very deliberate with what I'm eating. And people are like, well, what are you eating? What, what are you doing? Um, for me, I just say I, simple carbs are the devil. And I will, I, I'm going to just completely continue to harp on that. I think the most amazing success stories I've seen in terms of health, and this resonates in studies even for skincare, is high glycemic index foods, which are, uh, are representative of simple carbohydrates are extremely bad for you on every level. So if a person cuts that out or is very deliberate about about when they take that in, I think that's going to be best. So that's my goal. I'm going to be consistent with that throughout the year starting tomorrow. (laughs) Today, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think we don't really talk about the effects of sugar on the body. I mean, we know that even in the kidneys, right, sugar, high glycemic loads, cause something called non-enzymatic glycosylation or glycation that just obliterates your tissue, right? It's so bad for your body and it's really bad for your skin. That glycation occurs also in the skin and damages your collagen. So that is, even for the skin, reducing your sugar intake is going to be one of the best things that you can do. Now, my wife has now officially fallen for every Facebook and Instagram ad that exists. (laughs) Um, And she has us on these factor meals, factors 
like uh, the it's, meal it's, prep service. They send you mail. Okay. They send you. Uh, they send you like meals, and and they're anywhere from like five hundred to seven hundred calorie meals. They're not like super low calorie, but pretty balanced. That's pretty low. They're small portions, but I do feel pretty full afterwards, especially if I eat a salad with it, um, which is like I consider salads to be no calories, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so we've been using that now for two weeks. And I think it's actually pretty realistic. In fact, I actually think it's less expensive for us to do that than what we're currently doing, which is eating out most of our meals and much healthier. At least I know how many calories I'm consuming in that process. And so that's one of the things I think for me, diet is going to be really big going forward. It just makes me feel so much better when I eat better. Um, I, everyone knows from my last video that we did, I, I'm a huge foodie. So uh, I'm never going to not enjoy food, but I'm going to be a little bit more thoughtful about what I eat when I'm home because I still go out quite a bit and I can't really control what I eat when I'm out because I'm a huge foodie. So that's one of my objectives for the year. That was a sort of complete side rant there uh, <laughs> before we go into <laughs> the next topic. The next one, are tweens overusing skincare? Are you a tween? Are you overusing your skincare? It's quite possible. So Dr. Shah, fill us in what is going on. What is a tween? I'm not really quite sure about what a tween is, but basically what I've been seeing, I'll give you the little bit of an intro here. What I've been seeing on social media, and I watched, I saw one of these videos and then all I saw on my feed was these videos, which is preteens, people younger than 13 and teenagers, 13 to 18, having the most complex skincare routines that I've ever seen in my life, more complicated than any adult. Um, this is 10 steps, very expensive skincare products. What's really popular amongst this group on, on TikTok and Instagram is Drunk Elephant and Bubble, yeah. both of these brands, which interestingly have similar packaging in some ways, right? Like very bright packaging. Um, price range is vastly different between the two obviously Drunk yeah, Elephant being very expensive where bubble is a little bit more of a mass brand that you can get in walmart but still not cheap right like it's still something especially if you're buying stuff that you don't need it is costly for a lot of people and what i actually found was a, a lot of people you know where i live in miami now you know people were telling me at, at restaurants that their kids requested mostly skincare this year for Christmas and holidays. So there's a lot of like really young kids mm. super interested in skincare. And you would think as a dermatologist that we should be really excited about this. And I am, but I also think now we're kind of pendulum is, is shifted a little bit too far, right? You know, Dr. Maxville and I have always been big fans of deliberate skincare, but also like minimalist skincare, three, four step skincare routines, trying to achieve your goals. But these 10 step skincare routines get very, very complicated. They get very, very costly. And then a lot of times they end up causing more irritation. And then what people find is they lose a little bit of distrust in skincare. And I've seen this happen so many different times where people say, well, I had this complicated 10 step skincare routine. I bought all the products that everyone told me to buy. And then now all I do is I wash my face with Dove bar soap and my skin was better with Dove's bar soap than it ever was with this 10-step skincare routine. And it's not because those products aren't good, but it's because you're using too many products, you're using the wrong products for your skin. And so I think it actually leads people to like give up on skincare and they would have been much better off with like a three-step skincare routine. Yeah. Now, so this is, so I think this is actually a super important topic. The more you talk, the more I think about it. I think this is an extremely important topic because, you know, if you're a teen, a preteen, mostly preteens, like what did we call them? They're tweens. So you're, if you're a tween, what are, what are your goals? 
it, it certainly at this point cannot be anti-aging because your body is actually still developing. It's anabolic, meaning it's growing. We're, I'm living in a catabolic world. My body is breaking down and I'm trying to stop that from happening. If you're a tween, your body is growing in a healthy way, in an organized way, developing until it hits maturity. You really should not be addressing anti-aging at this point in your life. You can prevent it. Sun protection, sure. Engage in that. Do it. Uh, but the rest of the anti-aging routine probably can be left off the table. Are you dealing with acne? Is that your goal? That's perfectly acceptable. That hits the sage group. That's a very reasonable thing to be starting with. But I think non-discriminately, which is represented in the complexity of their skincare routine, they're just using stuff. I, I actually have seen this as well um, with some of my nurses' relations. And I actually am very proud of one of my nurses. She She's like vetting her young niece's skincare routine. She's like taking the glycolic acid. She's taking some of the products. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to let you have these. And she's like, you can use these. Um, so she's looking out for her family. But uh, I think we, especially as we're engaging on these platforms, um, should be probably driving discussion this year about appropriate starting ages um, and appropriate goals, especially for young individuals who are uh, consuming these, these uh, very colorful brands. Um, probably not in the right way. Exactly. So I guess the question then is, do you need a retinol? Because that's the, the common question I'm seeing. Do you mm. need a retinol if you're 15 years old? Yeah, I guess I would say no. I think that's too early. Yeah. So, you know, if you have acne using a retinoid, a dapoline, tretinoin for acne, and as a 15 year old, completely reasonable thing to do. Yeah. But when you're 15, your your skin's looking great. You really don't need a retinol at this age. You really don't. Like, as for like preventative aging, barring any other issues, right? You don't have major texture issues. You don't have comedones. You don't have acne. You don't have dark spots. You're not forming wrinkles. Mid 20s, maybe. Mid 20s, yeah. I would say. Um, before that I think is a little bit too early. So what do you need? Let's say that you're a tween, you want to get into skincare, you want healthy skin, you want to buy the right products. What do you need? Sunscreen, right? Protect mm -hmm. your skin. Cleanser to remove the sunscreen. Moisturizer to keep your skin hydrated overnight. That's pretty much all you need. Three products, pretty simple, nothing expensive. Ease your way into skincare and really it's really just about good routine and habit building. If you do that, your skin's going to look great you know, into your 30s and 40s. And, and that's where I'd start. And that's all I would address until something comes up. Until, like Dr. Maxfield says, you develop acne or dark spots or texture or wrinkles. Then you're going to want to be more deliberate about actives that you use. But until then, just keep it simple and protect what you have. There it is. Cool. Habits. And I, I agree. Building habits is the best positive that could come out of starting early. But hit all right, let's spots. get into this fun article here. Yeah. Okay, good. So the title of this article coming out of the, the great New York Post um, this one's actually written by uh, Brooke Cato, who's done a few articles with me and gotten a few quotes from me on different articles. Um, this article is titled, Gen Z is aging worse than millennials. Here are the alarming reasons why. Okay. This, again, is another trend on TikTok that I've seen where people are showing pictures of someone who's Gen Z, maybe a celebrity and a picture of somebody who's a millennial celebrity and saying, well, the millennial celebrity looks young, looks younger than the Gen Z celebrity. And then they propose a few reasons why in this article they think that Gen Z is aging more than millennials. Now, we're going to address whether or not we actually think this is even true or maybe why this could be true. Um, but I, I, I think there's a few nuances here. So first, they say the culprits are that 
Gen Z is doing more injectables like Botox and fillers earlier than ever before, which is contributing to aging and that they're vaping more than ever. And that those are the, the, the two things that they called out as the main reason why we see an increase in aging. Now, I'll also propose some other things that Gen Z does um, that we maybe didn't do as much as millennials, which is have a little bit, and I, I could be wrong, maybe the date is not accurate on this, but a little bit because a lot of people are working from home um, and have um, home jobs, that there's a little bit more of a sedentary lifestyle. And I, I could be wrong about that. Maybe maybe it's more outdoors or not, but um, I think that that could also be contributing. That's possible. Um, I, I Clarify something for me and perhaps other people out there. Who, who, how old are you? If you're Gen Z, like where does it stop? By the way, I was right. Gen A comes after Gen Z. I totally just made that up and that was actually true. But who, how old are you if you're Gen Z? All right, let's see. Know? Gen Z is 1997 to 2012, which is anyone from 12 to 27 years old. Okay, it's so 12 to 27. Okay, okay. And so we're saying vaping, filler, and some perhaps modest lifestyle changes. I, I'll propose also, I think I said this earlier off camera, but I think grooming and attire is another thing where younger individuals are uh, trying to dress like they're older mature counterparts. I was listening to someone else in another podcast this morning. They were, they were saying the same thing. Most of that was due to dress and lifestyle behaviors. Now, okay, in this group, you have 12 to 18-year-olds. That's like almost half the group. Who in that group is getting filler and who in that group is vaping? Um, that, so I, I think if this is true, especially in that portion, like that's a problem purely because they shouldn't be doing that. But the second part of it, I think the most interesting thing about this is actually the filler. Why do people get fillers? They want to look younger. That should actually be turning back the clock. How do fillers work? They fill space from space that was typically lost in an aging individual. So the counterside to this whole thing is if you're filling space that doesn't need to be filled, does it make you look older to a point where it's not it's unnatural or it's aging you well past where you want to be. I think that's an actually interesting consideration. I don't know if it's true, but it's possible. Are fillers actually just making you look old? I think it can because what I would suspect is it's the equivalent of essentially gaining weight and losing weight. And we've talked about this before with Ozempic phase, how losing weight rapidly can make you look older. And so with, with filler, um, let's say that you're you're filled and then that filler dissolves throughout the year or most of it dissolves throughout the year, you know, then you're going to look a little deflated, right? So if you don't replace that lost volume, you're going to look a little bit, maybe it's subtle, maybe it's not. Um, I will say though, that Gen Z does a few things that millennials didn't do really well, uh, which is I do think that Gen Z has more consistently used sunscreen <laughs> than millennials. I think millennials now use sunscreen. I think that Gen Z probably vapes a little bit more than millennials, but there are a lot of millennials that vape. But one thing that millennials did that Gen Z doesn't do really much at all is go booth tanning. Booth tanning was huge in my generation, mm. and, and it's not something that's very popular amongst Gen Z. You kind of see it every now and then some people post about it, and there's some interest in it, but... I see spray tans much more popular in Gen Z, and that's much better for the skin than than booth tanning with UV. So um, there are quite a few things that 
you know, Gen Z is doing that's actually much better than millennials are doing. And so, you know, basically my conclusion here is I don't even think this is true, honestly. Yeah, that's a good question. Like that, like I was, I'm going off of this, you know, headline and article, um, but I don't think this is true in my experience. I I don't think that Gen Z is aging worse than millennials. I, I think it's probably about the same. I do think that Gen Z and millennials have aged better than the years before uh, because of both sunscreen and smoking. Like smoking ages you so rapidly um, and the older generation smoked quite a bit um, and didn't wear sunscreen at all. So I actually think that, and it wasn't, you weren't using retinol and all these things. And so I, I do think that there is more health, more knowledge about what affects the skin. People are more health conscious. People tend to be aware of what a better diet looks like, um, which does a big contributor as well, inflammatory diets. So I actually think that Gen Z probably doesn't look older in my my experience. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I, 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 you know, now that you've said it, I don't think that's necessarily false. You, you're, you're probably correct. So this may be completely a myth uh that is gonna be hard to prove or disprove because you can find pictures of anybody you can find a picture of an old looking gen z person a young but looking what gen x or millennial i don't remember where that end starts but yeah it i don't that's know that's what you're, they did like, in like this not this particular article but i've seen some other articles where they just show like a really old looking millennial or a really young old looking gen z and they compare it to like a really young look you know how <laughs> they always say uh who's the guy that plays ant-man it's his name paul rudd there he is Paul right. Like Paul Rudd notoriously looks very young. Pharrell mm-hmm. notoriously looks very young. Right. And so a lot of people want to know what, what does Paul Rudd do or, or what does Pharrell do for his skin to look so young? But reality, like some people just are better off genetically than others. Um, it's probably not something specific that they did to make themselves look so much younger than anybody else. And so is Paul Rudd, you know, who's probably, you know, Gen X or I'm not sure what generation he falls into maybe he's a millennial as well but regardless yeah like he looks young but like i'm sure we can find a a gen z who looks much younger than you know paul rudd right so yeah ultimately i think that it's just selection bias and we probably are all aging at the same rate i think loneliness you know the surgeon general was saying that loneliness you know like as a result of isolation that occurred over the last three years major contributor to depression and health issues that could age people as well yeah. stress, working from home, sedentary lifestyles. Um, I'm more at my desk than ever before. Um, I'm stressed more than ever before. Um, I've seen my hair turn white rapidly over the past few <laughs> years. So, you know, I, I think there are a lot of things that contribute, but I don't think it's generation specific. Okay, there it is. Paul Yud and Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell, young-looking individuals. Will Ferrell, <laughs> Ferrell, the I don't know the who Ferrell is. Rapper, no. <laughs> creative director of Louis Vuitton, owner no. of Human Race Skincare. No, none of that's ringing a bell. No, I'm happy, Ferrell. That song. I uh, don't. No, I'm happy. You're happy. The there's, uh, no way. there's no way you don't know who Ferrell is. That's crazy. I don't know. Not a clue. Uh, <laughs> Gen Z. So the next thing is actually a continuation of Gen Z. So, you know, there. So we've talked about now the physical side of Gen Z. Is it really that different than the preceding generations? It. I don't know. I agree. It's probably not. Now the the other article is an interesting one that I, I ran across today, and it's Gen Z are bringing mom and dad to interviews and is turning off employers. A new survey finds. So what this study is 
talking about. So it was a survey and 800 managers, directors, and executives. I actually feel like that's a pretty good number to do a poll. 800 different uh, employers is pretty, pretty important. Uh, I think it's relevant. So if, you, if you're struggling to find work or if you're actually going to be entering the marketplace, you should probably listen up. This has some pretty good feedback. And I, I find this actually relevant into what I am seeing as well in the real world. And Dr. Sean, we've both been on both sides of this. Within the last five years, we've been on both sides of this. We're interviewing for positions and now we're interviewing people for positions. So um, there are some really important nuggets here. So one of the findings, they said that 50% of individuals or more than half struggled to make eye contact during an interview. There should be no doubt in anyone's mind that this is true. Um, I'm, I, I have actually been historically really good at eye contact. I know this for a fact. I know with patients, I'm really good at it. However, I know in social situations, I'm really bad at it. I'm like in the habit of staring at my phone, even when I'm around people I'm enjoying and engaged in, I'm still on my phone. And I know that this is carrying over into the workplace. So eye contact is a killer. Like it's extremely important to acknowledge the person in front of you, especially in the setting of a job. And I'll run through the rest of the list here. Uh, where Dr. Shaw can weigh in on the other ones. But more than that, so 50% struggle to make eye contact. Um, half showed up in inappropriate attire, which I know that I'm a very casual person, especially for my profession. And I, I kind of do this deliberately to feel out jobs sometimes and feel out people. But it's still, like there is an expectation that you are putting effort into what you're wearing, especially on interview day. It doesn't have to be perfect probably, but you have to put effort. Um, and then one-fifth, one fifth, so 20% of people brought their parent, brought a parent to the interview. And that seems exceptional to me. I don't know. What would you do if someone brought a parent to an interview with you? <laughs> How do you perceive question. that? <laughs> this is a good question. Um, yeah, and and I want to talk about some changes in the workforce in general, uh, in the in the younger generation. So, I've hired maybe eight people this year, um, and have been on the hiring side for you know where where I've been seeking out jobs for a long time. And you know, I'll give you a classic example, just kind of address the attire thing. So, Doctor Casals, you may have seen him on our Instagram channels on on various platforms out there. He also makes some content, but. He trained uh, the years underneath us. And I remember when I first met Dr. Casal, he came to the office just to do like a tour of the office, meet a few people when we were looking for a residence to join the program. Dr. Mac Dr. Casal shows up in a full-fledged suit, suit, tie, dress shoes. Way overdressed for the scenario. I mean, we're in clinic. It's not an interview. He's way overdressed for a medical student. Most medical students don't dress like this. But, you know, I I I took that as uh not okay, yeah, like he was way overdressed and he was out of place, but at the same time I took it as like this guy's trying to make his best impression, right? He took this day very seriously as an opportunity to make an impact. And to me, like even though he was overdressed, I felt as if it was a positive sentiment for me. Now, I have interviewed people in the past where, you know, they're a little bit more casual, white T-shirt, maybe the T-shirt's not pressed. Um, but I also felt at the same time that they were extremely knowledgeable and skilled in what they did. Um, 
And I still felt positively about those people. But I will say that having an outfit that's a little bit unkempt, let's say, um, may, maybe it won't hurt you. It could hurt you for sure, but maybe it won't hurt you in, in the past. It's never like changed my opinion on somebody, but having a really put together outfit will kind of move you potentially a step ahead. So I, I do think that that, you know, the way that you appear certainly matters. Now, bringing your parent into, I just, I think that would be so troublesome to be honest. Like, and I don't want to be critical because I know that there's probably good reasons why people, I'm trying to understand why you might want to do that. And I, I can't think of a reason. I always try to like look at it from other people's point of view before I like come to a conclusion, but I can't think of a good reason why you might want to do that unless maybe you wanted their opinion uh, on the situation. But what I can tell you is that when you are hiring people for a role, you want to make sure that they can do that role independently and that you can trust them because nobody wants to micromanage people that work with them, right? Everybody wants everyone being kind of a star player, getting the job done, being independent. And so I think bringing a parent with you makes it feel as if maybe you wouldn't be able to do that in the work setting. And that would be probably a major red flag to me, unless I, there was a good reason why they might have done that. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Right. I think, you know, it shocks me that one fifth of people did this in a large a large amount of people uh, in this larger study but like i i still think it's so out of place it's almost shocking where you you feel like you have to have an explanation right away and i don't think you want to start your first encounter where you're offering up an explanation for something uh, extraordinary before you get the chance to propose and put forth who you are and what you bring to the table um it's almost like it's almost similar to the dress thing in that if you're overdressed it, it without saying it's a nonverbal cue that you care if nothing else it shows that you care and that's actually like a respectable and important quality um simple the conversely like if you are wildly underdressed you are going to like dr josh said you can have wonderful qualities and those can certainly compensate for the attire but already you're starting off the the introduction with do my other qualities compensate for this one thing that made my first impression and similarly if you bring a parent into the room with an interview you're going to have to explain it and you're going to have to again compensate in your other characteristics and qualities that you bring to the table uh to kind of supersede that fact yeah um <laughs> i i just it's never happened and i don't know how i would necessarily react to it i will say that it seems as if and this is even true about myself, that my generation even was older by the time they were like independent, if that makes sense. Like like, like our independence from our parents and reliance on our parents, God willing they're present, um, it, it is more than previous generations before me. Like, you know, people are getting married later. That's a classic example of this, right? People take longer to get married. Um, people leave the house later. Like, you know, a lot of 30-year-olds live at home. Um, and so I think there is this like lag of independence that is occurring. And there could be, a, I think financially is a big issue, right? Like with inflation, it becomes more and more difficult to become independent of, of a family. Like, you know, a lot of people can't support themselves. Um, and so I think 
that is maybe a major contributor. But I, I do know that even me, like I was going to see my pediatrician until I was like 22. Right. And my pediatrician eventually was like, Hey, you need to find like a adult Wait, doctor. What? Like you're, you're like an adult. <laughs> Wait, you? Yeah. And even now, I mean, you know, to add to this, right. So like, I'm not, you know, I don't think we're criticizing. I think we're giving tips here more than anything, not criticizing to criticize, but you know, more genu- gen- genuinely curious about this, this, um, I am still on my parents' phone plan, right? Bro. So, um, you know, I, and I, you know, I, I pay my own rent. You know, honestly, like oh, I yeah? pay my own car bills. Uh, the only thing I don't pay for is my phone bill, um, just because I'm still connected on my parents' family plan. And I never switched the number, right? And um, yeah, I, I think for a long time, you know, I I was very very reliant on my parents um, to, you know, maybe do simple things that you know I didn't try to learn myself. And I, I think my parents were trying to be as helpful as they could. Um, but that maybe kept me from being independent for longer than I should have probably, um, to be clear, like I'm independent in every other way other than my phone bill. I just want to be clear to the audience right now. Um, but, uh, but I do think that independence is taking longer, but uh, overall tip, don't bring your parent to an interview unless there's an extremely good reason why. Um, I think like Dr. Maxfield said, I mean, it's going to ma- raise major red flags and, um, you're going to have to explain those major red flags. And so it's probably not the best foot forward. Yeah. And I know, I think, so yes, Dr. Shaw brought up a good point earlier. Like a big part of this was I was very surprised with these results. Like I was shocked by some of them, but us having lived on both sides of these, I remember when you and I were still in residency and we were giving a nurse practitioner, I think tips as she was applying. I can't remember if she was applying for NP school or job. Do you remember that? And we were giving her tips Mm. on how to interview and how to rotate. You don't remember this, but, uh, but the, the goal, it really is like we certainly could have benefited from some candor and some of these things being pointed to us as we progressed through our early stages in life. Trust me, Dr. Shaw and I had some serious struggles um, and we probably still do, but we definitely could have benefited from some of this. So if you're hearing this and if you're like, oh, wait, that's me, by all means, like, please just take it and internalize it. We are not judging you, but we're just really pointing out some things that are shocking to people on the other side of the table, perhaps from you. And they may not verbalize it. Like you may not get the job and you may never know why. Uh, but just think about things we're saying. There may be some truth to this. Yeah, 100%. And if you watched any of our like initial intro video on YouTube back in the day, way back in the day, um, we were both very late bloomers, right? Like we didn't, you know, really get in a groove of things until we were older than 21, I would say. So we we bloomed certainly very, very late uh, before we were really, really figured out what we wanted to do in life and figured out how to execute on that. So um, <laughs> this is coming from a place, I think, of love for sure. Um, but yeah, that, that that to me would be a major red flag as somebody who's hired a few employees this year. So so I, I will comment, I, I want to comment on one thing to, to the benefit, right, of my parents' generation, right, worked the same jobs forever. Like my mom and dad, worked at the same company from the time that they graduated to the time that they retired. Um, Same company, 30 plus years, right? Loyal to this company. You know, slowly incremental increases in wages. Oftentimes, those those raises less than inflation. Um, But that's what they knew to do, stay at the same job forever, uh, be loyal to it. Um, That 
that uh, company would be loyal to you. They'd give you a pension at the end of the day. And slowly these companies cut away pensions and kind of left their employees out to dry. What I will say about Gen Z is that they are much more focused on themselves because, you know, there, there is, there is some truth in this. And I've seen this on social media as well. During your funeral, your job will be, you know, advertising to replace you essentially. Right. So let's say, for example, you, God forbid, died on the job or died while you were employed. Um, they're not going to, they'll mourn your loss. You know, they'll be sad that you left. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, they're going to need to replace that role. Right. Like that, that's the truth about all of us. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think that prioritizing yourself is super important. It's not something that my parents' generation did. Um, and I do see in Gen Z and millennials, but Gen Z very much prioritizing themselves. Now, it, is it is it too much? Um, is there some type of middle ground of, you know, I think the average, you know, some people are only staying at jobs for like a year, 10 months. Like, is that too quick of a turnaround to really establish and build a relationship, um, grow within a company? Um, so has the pendulum swung too far? Probably. Um, but I, I think it, I think that prioritizing yourself and your family and the things that matter to you and having a work-life balance and not waiting until you retire to travel and do the things that you want to do and pursue your passions and have hobbies I do actually think is something that's super important. And and I think finding a balance between a job that you love, um, employees you love to work with, but also prioritizing yourself is really the way forward. And it's something that I think that Gen Z is really kind of taken by storm. So I think, you know, there are pros and cons. Oh, yeah, definitely. They've revolutionized the workforce. I think we're always shocked when we run into these 20, early 20 year olds who are in executive positions at these brands we work with. I'm like, wait. You're 19. <laughs> You're the VIP. What the, what am I doing with my life? But <laughs> now there's definitely pros and cons here. Um, I one of the most shocking things that I always want to know, and maybe some economists can weigh in. Maybe someone who's older can. How was it that these small mom and pop shops? They're not corporations. A hundred years ago, these are small mom and pop shops. They'd keep you on as an employee. You would make a reasonable living, and they would pay this store. That shop would pay your pension for the rest of your life after you retired. What happened that mom and pop shops can't even function, let alone pay a pension? I I don't know. Uh, But I am baffled that that was ever a part of life and society. And and I'd I'd like to get back there. I would love to see that. Yeah, no, I I think in the end, the the loyal employees got shafted. um, Mm. And, you know, I don't know that we'll ever see a world like that again, quite honestly. Um, You know, I think people prioritize profit over you know, the family that a workplace used to be. So maybe, maybe they'll bring those, those things back, but I I don't see it. And I, and I see mostly like when I'm reviewing resumes from different positions, most people are staying at their jobs for a year to two years maximum now. Um, Hmm. and moving on to higher paying jobs. And, you know, they've done studies that have shown that somebody who switches jobs every, let's say two to three years for 10 years, Versus somebody who stayed at the same job for 10 years, invariably the person who switched jobs is going to make more money at the end. That doesn't mean that you should switch jobs, but it's just saying that like it does probably lead 
to better, higher salaries. That doesn't necessarily mean like the pursuit of salary is meaningful, right? Like if you're at a position where you feel like you're valued, um, you're doing what you love, you're working at a company where you feel like you're making a difference in the world where, you know, for example, my sister, she took a lower paying job because she felt working for a nonprofit organization. She felt like she was making a better difference than she was at one of these for-profit places, right? So as a she's Gen Z and, you know, was prioritizing essentially the mission of the job over the pay of the job or the position mm-hmm. or this, you know, all that. So I, I, I do think the priorities are slightly different. So it'd be interesting to see kind of where things go um, in general. But I've seen some bright, very bright Gen Z uh, people that I've interacted with through through various, uh, you know, like you said, you know, working with brands or, you know, other companies. It's it's incredible to see. So um, uh, let us know what you think about. <laughs> let us know in the comments what you think about bringing your parent and, and conversely, and we won't address it, bringing your child essentially, which I have seen um, and hasn't negatively impacted the way I viewed that person at all. Um, but bringing your child essentially to an interview um, because you weren't able to get daycare or whatnot. Um, so, you know, I think it's also an interesting discussion, but totally has nothing to do with skincare. It's just something to think about. Yeah, there it is. That's how we roll. It's a mixture of life, advice, just questions about life, and then skincare. That's this podcast for you. So today we covered basic life updates, what you should be doing this year for your skin, Queens overusing skincare and then a, a, a little bit of a microscope on Gen Z. Um, and so we hope you enjoyed this. We greatly appreciate you. I hope you're excited for this new year. We are extremely stoked to be back on the podcast. This is actually really nice for us because we get to kind of catch up every week. It, it's actually very a nice treat just to like be together and talk together. So I hope you enjoy us, our dialogue um, and our discourse. But this is a Dr. Unhinged podcast. Welcome back to the new year. We love having you here. And again, it's just me and Dr. Maxfield hanging out. So it's it's our fun time. It's our bro time. Um, so leave comments. Let us know what you want us to talk about next. And we'll see you in the next episode.